reading is taken from Philippians 4, beginning at verse 8, and is found on page 1181 of the Church Bibles. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the Gospel, When I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What I would like to do this morning is to put this final section of Paul's letter into a context. We began this series way back in early October, the first Sunday in October, and now we bring it to a conclusion this morning as part of our series, just looking a little at a time at one letter in in the New Testament. And the heading this morning is the joy of giving, joy in giving. Context, however, is everything. I'll give you an example. I was heard on... Last Thursday, saying to Helen Walker, I want a woman. Out of context, I would be in trouble. My P45 would be in the post. But in context, what I wanted was a woman to read this morning. Context does tell us a great deal out of context, can be very misleading. After the war, the first formal delegation of the Church of England to the United States of America was conducted by Geoffrey Fisher, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. First delegation to the United States of America. In those days, churches had a higher profile than they do today. And there was a great entourage of people, civic and religious, 
and a host of reporters were there ready to interview this very important churchman. And in the course of the interviews, the reporters were asking a variety of questions as to his agenda, where he was going, what he was going to do and say, and so forth. And one reporter of the New York Times asked, Archbishop, will you be going to any nightclubs while you're in America? To which he thought shrewdly his reply was, are there any nightclubs in America? The reporter inwardly wrote the headline of the next day in the New York Times. Archbishop arrives in America and asks, are there any nightclubs in America? <laughs> See the point? Context surely is everything. And somebody has rightly said that a text without a context is a con, a religious con. So therefore, looking at this last part here is so very important. It helps us to understand exactly what is being said. What I would like to do is just to do two things uh, this morning. The first, first section of our reading is to see what Paul is actually saying here is this, that there is the compelling providence of God that is earthed through people. What is the whole mission of the church but people reaching people? That's you and I. The compelling providence of God through people. And then, the second thing we're going to look at is the credible promise of God as it is found in people's experience. Look at God's providence for a moment. In verses uh, 10 through to 40 in this section here, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. This is uh, apostolic Christianity where people were woven into each other's lives in a very close way. And what Paul has been urging the church to do before in that classic verse, verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again because there is always a reluctance on the part of people, Christian people no less, not to rejoice. Rejoice. But now what Paul is doing is giving them his reason for rejoicing. And this isn't vacuous. This isn't empty. This isn't meaningless. He's giving a reason why he can rejoice, and it's this. God's providence, as it finds its connection through the church, through people, through their generosity. So he says this. It was good for you to share in my troubles... Ours is a culture that doesn't do that like we used to. We, we, we don't get involved. It's too complicated. People are always complicated. And here is Paul expressing something of God's providence through the concern and the involvement of people. And then you read on. Moreover, as you Philippians know, this is verse 15. In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when you came to faith... Perhaps when they stopped being religious and started being Christian. When I set out from Macedonia, not one of the churches with, uh, shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you. Now he's not putting them down and putting them up. He's just stating a fact. And God was providing through these people. And he says, I rejoice. I, I wonder if we can see that more and more. 
that what Paul sees behind their generosity is this. God's providence. And at various times in his life he's able to stop and look back and say, yes, that was God's doing. That was God's providing. God's providence. But it, it had an effect in Paul. Not only was he just the recipient of their generosity, he was that, but much more. And look at this. For the most mature believer here this morning, what are we talking about? All of life for all of us, and it ever will be, is this. A constant learning curve. Pity the believer who has stopped learning and listening to God's word. So, look at verse 11. What, what is he actually saying? Let's try to get into this in the context that we've, we've presented. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. This is a big learning curve for me. What does he say? I've learned to be content whatever circumstances. Ask yourself this question. And then if you dare, ask somebody else the same one. Am I a contented person? Am I? Well, Paul is saying, for me, that was a big learning curve. That was a, that was a big journey for me. And I'm not quite sure that I've cracked it, but I, I, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then he goes on to say something else. Look at verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And now he's saying this. What is this open secret? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Would you say that that was true of you? That you are a, a, a believer, I'm assuming that you are, you put your trust in Jesus Christ, and there is a sense now of, of a deep-seated contentment, whatever the circumstances. And I know some of you that they're not very good at the moment. Is ours a, a faith that's based on circumstance, or is it a faith that's based in God's providence? That in bad times, he can bring good, and often does. I have learned, and it's in the continuous tense, and I am still learning. I'm still learning. Now, stay with this word, providence, for a moment. This compelling providence of God. And I hope you feel that it is compelling as I speak to you. Okay, how would you describe yourself? Content or discontented? Is it the circumstances that determine that? Or a living faith in the Lord Jesus? And here's the application. The application. Try to ask somebody who knows you well and say, now honestly, you tell me what you think. And then have some sort of a discussion. What is this secret? I've learned the secret. He, he, you see, the context is he's thanking them for their generosity, and yet what he's saying is that in all circumstances, there's something bigger here. Think for a moment how often our lives, young and old alike, are shot through with this little word, if only. You've only got to listen to people speak for a while, or listen to yourself, perhaps, and there it is. And here's the classic one, isn't it? If only I had... More money or a little more money. If only I could get better grades. If only I came from a better home. 
If only I hadn't made that bad investment. If only we'd stayed married. If only we had children. If only we didn't. If only, if only my husband didn't die young. If only my children would come home. If only we could get back on our feet. If only people would accept me as I am. Which is another way of saying, if only I could accept people as they are. If only I had more friends. If only my church was more loving. Now, you could, you could, you could write a long list. But does it, does it give an indication of some sort of discontent in your life as a believer? So that you pray your prayers and then somehow they're on the back burner. The challenge that we have here in these verses is this, that it is uniquely in Jesus Christ that we learn to be content. And you know, spiritual contentment isn't earned by merit. Pray more. Go more to church. I'm up for that. But that's not the road to that. That could be a dead end if, you, if your attitude is wrong. It's not earned by merit. It's learned by grace. And it is amazing. Don't you think we should put the amazing back into grace? It is amazing. The compelling providence of God. And particularly as this is found in verse 13. Let me read it to you again. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Context is very important. Paul's confidence is this. And it can be ours as well today. That it is actually uniquely through Jesus Christ. As he becomes the center of my life. That instead of I can do all things through education. Thank God for it. I can do all things through money. Yes, we need it. I can do all things through power. Yes, we need to have the right connection. I can do all things through power, positive thinking. Yes, we need to think positively. I can do all things through my self-confidence. There's nothing wrong with that. But for the Christian, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength in moral strength when I'm tempted, financial strength when I'm discontented, why? Because of this compelling providence of God in all circumstances. And then the last, this second heading that we have. The, the credible promise of God. God's providence is linked to his promise. And he never breaks his word. That's why we can trust him. We break our word. I break mine. You probably do as well. Tell me if you haven't. And so in verse 15 through, through to the end, here is woven the promise of God. He says, you Philippians, this is the gateway to Europe. We look at the history of the church through which the gospel came to this country, through this community of people. It's deeply humbling, isn't it? You Philippians, you know, in the early days of my acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared me. Why was that? Do you know why? They didn't trust him. 
And they had cause not to trust him. He persecuted the church. Paul had a credibility gap. But what he's talking here is this, that by the grace of God, he is forgiven and reconciled to God. And here are the promises. The promises of God as we have them here in these verses. Paul is emphasizing this special relationship. This special relationship. It is, if you like, what's called today a gospel partnership. One of the interesting things about churches today, they don't necessarily get together because they're all Baptists or they're all Anglicans or whatever, but because with their different traditions, they have this overwhelming conviction that we are gospel people. And it is the gospel that unites us. And it is the gospel that changes our lives. Not religion, not church. And Paul is thanking them for this gospel partnership that finds its promise rooted in the gospel itself. This idea of giving and receiving. And during this Advent time, think about it. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That for our sakes, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. God is a giving God. He's a gracious God. And he's our example. But look at this. Look at, look at verse 19. Let me just read this to you. He's speaking about this whole idea of God's promise. And then he seems to pause and say this. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Years ago there was a tradition among uh, an older generation, my parents' generation, that if you went into the house you would have a, a, a verse somewhere, somewhere in the house. And this was one of the favorite verses that you would often see over the mantelpiece or in the bedroom or somewhere in the house. And it's this, my God will meet all your needs, qualification, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God meeting people's need with the promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus. God met my need, Paul says, and he'll meet your needs too. He met my needs. He forgave me. And Paul says, without exaggerating, I'm less than the least. I'm not worthy to be uh, an apostle or a preacher of the gospel. But he forgave me. And I hold on to his promise. God met my needs. Do you see it? And he will meet your needs. Now, ask yourself now then, in this context, what is your greatest need? What is your greatest need today? Well, I want to answer it. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the expression of John the Baptist. He is everything, I am nothing. John, John's expression, he is everything, I am nothing. Now, that's not hyperbole. That is really something that he believes wholeheartedly. And there's a majority of people who would say that, that Jesus is everything. He's everything. And his promise holds good, always, always. I'm reminded of uh, a young person who came to faith in this church and always at the youth fellowships and going back some 20 years or more always chose this song. And sometimes, you know, you have associations of people and places with hymns and songs and it's this 
We don't sing it anymore. Maybe we should. In my need, Jesus found me. This was her testimony at her baptism and throughout her life. Put his strong arms around me, brought me safe home into the shelter of the fold. Gracious shepherd that sought me, precious lifeblood that brought me out of the night into the light and nigh to God. And he's still doing that. He's still doing that. But what you and I have to do this morning is to believe that promise. Believe it. Believe it. His glorious riches, and may I say this, no credibility gap with the promises of God. Not giving with the one hand and taking with the other or having an ulterior motive that his will is that he might bless us. That he might bless us with a sense that we are so humbled that we know we don't deserve it. We know that we don't deserve it. The credible promise of God. So, let's try to apply this in conclusion. Just three sort of sentences, if you like. Sums over... This is the application. You've heard what it says. Now this is what it means for you. Okay. Look within. Think of this whole area of contentment. Because it's either there or not, isn't it? I've either got it or I've lost it. Look within. And, and in verse 13, let me read this to you again. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, if we were to take time just to give examples of some of Paul's troubles and sorrows and ill health and, and, and setbacks and character assassination against him and much more and the troubles of the church and actually, as he writes, in prison. And yet look within and receive, receive what he offers. Is there something or someone holding you back? Because in many ways you often have to let go before you can take hold, haven't you? You do. Look within. Do that inner journey. And receive. It's the reason we chose that song earlier. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. I believe. I believe. I believe. Children can't believe for you. Your parents can't believe it. You have to believe. That's that journey that you have to make. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whatever my circumstances. Now, just think for a moment. We live in a society which is permeated by a spirit of discontent. And it's a strange irony that as a country and perhaps as families and individuals, we are wealthier now than we have ever been, ever, in the history of mankind. And yet, is it not strange? Just think for a moment. Why is there so much discontent? If I'm exaggerating, you, okay, make allowance for that. Ask yourself that question. Why is it that we have so much 
and we enjoy so little? Is it that we haven't made room in our lives for Jesus Christ? Look within and receive. Look around and respond. You make your response. Look at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs. Your needs. Your needs. You can personalize that. Put your name there. And God will make my needs, your needs, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's a great promise, isn't it? Claim it. Trust in him. Make it yours. Don't wait for somebody else to respond. You respond. Look around and respond. And finally, look up. This is, this is the Advent season. The coming of the Lord. Look for his coming. See what he's doing. Among the nations, yes, and, and within our families. And allow him to do his work. His unique and sovereign work in your life and mine. And so... The letter comes to an end apart from those personal greetings and it says to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Look up and rejoice. Rejoice. And I think this isn't just vain repetition, you know. In Philippians 4 and verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, I know that we can't rejoice for situations that we are coping with now in terms of ill health and, and, and bereavement and loss and disappointment. We can't rejoice in them, not for them. There is a world of difference. Look up and see what God is doing and rejoice not in any smugness or self-sufficiency contentment isn't like that I'm alright no no in, sometimes in life things happen to you and recently this past year partly speaking at my father's funeral but on other occasions things happen to you that you, you go through life differently with a lighter step le less anxious more aware of God's goodness. Godliness with contentment. Great gain. And we bring nothing into the world. We take nothing out. Actually, that, strictly speaking, isn't quite true. We take out His grace and His presence. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We, the, the relationship that has begun is not severed like human relationships. Maybe that's learning to be content, to let things go, not to allow your life to be shot through, eaten away with anxiety. I hope this Advent time we will know much more of the compelling providence of God. That's the context. Make it real for you. And the credible promise of God it holds good look within and receive look around and respond and look up look up and rejoice 
that's the great word for advent.